0: The scripture readings this morning are Micah 2 1 through 2, 6 3 through 5, and 6 8. Woe to those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in their power. They covet fields and seize them, houses, and take them away. They oppress householder and house, people and their inheritance. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Bear, answered him, and what happened from Shatim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, this morning, we are in the middle of a a three-part series on the book of Micah. And specifically, we are looking at Micah through the lens of this verse, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And this verse has been called the quintessential message of the Old Testament prophets, right? Because it's this iconic one sentence summary really of how they understood the commandments of God for his people. And they still very much apply to God's people today. And so last week, Pastor Chris started us off by focusing on the first of these three requirements, which is that we do justice. And we looked at it especially as it relates very intimately to mercy and humility, because in fact, the three of those things cannot be separated. Um, And we're going to build on that today and look more at the second commandment to love mercy. Um, But first, let's pray. Lord God, I just ask that you would be present with us in this place, that you would make us mindful and aware of your presence with us and around us, that we might experience and encounter you as we hear these words of Micah and this story in your word. Please open our eyes to see and our hearts to hear whatever good news it is that you have for each one of us today this morning, Lord. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, before we dive into this idea of mercy or kindness, which is this incredibly rich, wonderful word chesed in the Hebrew, Uh, we're going to take a minute to put this verse into the context of Micah's story because this is one of those verses we pull out of its context a lot right it's rich and quick and on point and so we do things like put it up on signs and hang it in our house or in our offices because it's a really good reminder to us of what God wants from us Uh, do justice love mercy walk humbly with God and that's awesome Um, but it's also possible to have heard this verse a hundred times And to not know anything more about the book of Micah or what was going on with God's people when this was said, right? Why is it that these words needed to be spoke in the first place, spoken in the first place? So we're going to spend a minute in this story and with this context and allow it to give us some more depth around this verse. So last week, we learned that Micah was a prophet from the village called Morasheth, which is about 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. And we honestly don't know much more about him, except that he was called by God to speak in the capital city of Jerusalem, and that he was there during the reigns of three different kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And these were three in a long list of kings that ruled uh, while the nation of Israel was divided into two. And so if you remember, they had been united under King Saul and King David and King Solomon. But after that, they split. And we had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, if you remember Pastor Chris's map from last week. And most of these kings that came after Solomon in either of the kingdoms just completely disregarded God's law and God's commandments for his people. And they got comfortable in their own sort of power and security. And so they kept up all the pretenses with the sacrifices and all the rituals of worship, but they completely abandoned what was the heart of God's law, which is that they genuinely love God with their whole self and that they care for one another. But instead, what was happening is that the rich were getting richer and the powerful were getting corrupt and the poor were not being taken care of in the way that God required. And everyone who was sitting at the top of the social ladder thought, this is fine, we have nothing to worry about, because they had what they thought was the most important thing, which was the temple in Jerusalem, which is where God had promised that he would dwell with them. So because of this, they thought that they couldn't be touched, right, that they had God's blessing and that it was never going to leave them. And so here into all of this enters Micah. And I think it's possible that God called him of all people because he was kind of this small town guy and he could see and understand the plight of the common person. But his words that he brought to Jerusalem were not nearly as modest as his background because he if you read any part of Micah, really has a scathing indictment for the way that these people were being treated in Israel. So we heard from chapter 3 in our reading from last week that Micah steps in and he calls out the rulers and the judges for pronouncing judgments for bribes. And he calls out even the priests in the temple and these so-called prophets who were there in Israel who were giving favorable teachings for money. And then in our text this week in chapter two, we see Micah calling out all of the wealthy landowners who are coveting the fields of their neighbors and then using crooked deals to seize that land from poorer farmers. And in that time, a family's land was their livelihood. Right, so to take away someone's land essentially meant leaving their entire family destitute. The economic divide between the poor and the rich just continued to grow. Because these landowners were disobeying the 10th commandment not to covet, and the requirement that they love their neighbor as themselves, and yet they were shocked when Micah shows up and says that God was gonna bring justice on their city. Right, because of you, he says, Zion will be plowed as a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, And the mountain of the temple, this temple you thought was going to keep you safe in and of itself, that's going to be a wooded height. It will be no more. There's no way, they thought. This cannot possibly happen. God would never abandon us like that. How dare he? In fact, God, how dare you even think about doing such a thing? How could you leave your people? And now we get to God's side of the story. Right? God always has a side of the story. Uh, Pastor Chris mentioned last week that chapter 6 of Micah is sort of written in the style of a courtroom trial. And so through the words of Micah, God then pleads his case. He says, "'Oh, my people, what have I done to you? "'In what have I wearied you? Answer me! "'For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, "'and I redeemed you from the house of slavery. "'I sent before you Moses.'" and Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. He reminds them of their exodus from Egypt. This was the defining narrative for the Jewish people, right? That once they were slaves, until God stepped in and he saved them. And then when they wandered in the wilderness, in their 40 years in in the wilderness, King Balak of Moab called on this man named Balaam, who was said to be a seer in his time, and he wanted him to curse the Israelite people. And instead, God would only allow Balaam to pronounce blessings on the people of Israel as they were wandering. And then they miraculously crossed the Jordan River from Shittim to Gilgal, from the wilderness into the promised land. That's what that journey was. God parted the waters in the same way as he had done in the Red Sea and brought them into the promised land. So this is God reminding his people that he has provided for them and showed them mercy over and over and over again. Remember that word chesed that we talked about a minute ago? This is it. Chesed is God's faithful love. When Micah says, love mercy, that word for mercy is the same word that is used to describe the character of God over and over again in the Old Testament. Chesed is kindness and mercy, but it's not just a random act of kindness, it's loyal. So sometimes we see this word getting translated faithful love, steadfast love. Or covenant love. It's this mercy and kindness that is grounded deeply in relationship. Because in the story of Israel, God had promised them that they would be his people and he would be their God, and then he loved them out of that promise. He cast this wide net of grace around them when they were poor and powerless, even when they were complaining in the desert and he brought them to their place of rest, this promised land that he gave to them. And it was meant to be a place of rest for all people, right? But as they created kingdoms and as empires grew, it didn't stay that way, We've kind of seen this a thousand times over the course of history. Money and power become a temptation and it breeds corruption. And that's exactly what happened, even in the case of Israel, who had the law of God. The system oppressed the poor, so God brought justice to the system. He was willing to let Jerusalem be conquered and to let his own temple be destroyed because all of that hot mess of chaos that was happening in Jerusalem was not what he intended. And this is the point in the story, I think, where we realize that justice and mercy are like two sides of the same coin, right? You can't have one without the other. They're inseparable. There's a theologian named Shirley Guthrie who calls this God's loving justice on the one hand and God's just love on the other. He says that when God judges, he judges in order to help, not to pay back, to get even, to seek retribution or to wipe out. The fact that God can become angry, which he very much is here in Micah, you will notice, means that God really cares about us and is not willing to let us stew in our own juice. It means that he refuses to let us get by with the chaos and self-destruction that we bring into our own lives when we rebel against God and listen to the actively cause or passively permit suffering in the lives of other people. So God's justice for the powerful was at the same time God's mercy for the powerless. Because he is a saving God. That's his story. He sides with the poor. Over and over again, God rescues and he shows mercy. Remember this, Micah says. Because just like God had saved them in the past, out of Egypt and in their wanderings, even after all of the mess that they have now made in Israel, in this land that he has given them, Micah says he intends to save them again. Again. At the same time as Micah announces judgment, he also announces God's plan for redemption. That's why he promised that a Messiah would come from the little town of Bethlehem and that this Messiah would be one, he says, that shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be one of peace. And so, 700 years later, after all of the consequences of Israel's actions and injustice has played itself out, Jesus then enters the story. And he comes once again, casting a wide net of grace around people. He eats and he drinks with the poor and powerless. He touches the lepers, these untouchable folks in the community. He redeems the prostitutes. He heals the blind. He shows us what our relationships of mercy are supposed to look like. And he repeats the words of another prophet, Hosea, through whom God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then, At the end of his life, he takes the justice of God upon himself so that he might then show the entire world his faithful chesed love. That is the God that we have. (laughs) So now it comes to us, right? What is our part in the story? As members of Christ's body, what do we have to do with God's mercy I always find it interesting to try to put myself in the stories of the Bible, you know, and ask like, who is it that I identify with here? I think it can tell us a lot and it can allow us to see the story with fresh eyes, but I want us to think about that. As we listen to this story, who is it that we identified with? We live in a culture that's a lot like Jerusalem was in Micah's day, for better or worse. We have plenty of wealth, plenty of social competition, and still plenty of prejudice and folks that exist and live and experience poverty. So maybe in some ways, you and I can identify with the comfortable, powerful people that Micah was calling out, the ones who were essentially benefiting from the system, from our positions of privilege. And yes, we do have privilege. What role have we played in injustice, actively or passively? You know, Micah asks us to think about these things and to consider who we might be leaving out. Or maybe you identify with Micah himself, right? You pay attention to the injustice and the pain that exists in society, and it breaks your heart. You know that this is not what God intended, and so you try to do something about it. Maybe you volunteer to make sandwiches or go to feed those folks experiencing homelessness. Maybe you advocate for new social policies or you participate in environmental stewardship. You do the work of justice. Right? This is important because the world needs more Micas who are willing to speak truth to power. Or maybe you identified with the poor and the ones who are being taken advantage of. Maybe you feel burdened or beat down you know, financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Maybe you're feeling weary. Maybe you feel desperately in need of God's mercy right now. And do we stand with the ones who are just pleading and saying, show up for us, God. <laughs> like We need your salvation. We need your peace. I mean, truthfully, this is every one of us, right? rich or poor. We all deserve God's justice, but we are all in desperate need of God's grace. And tomorrow, as we heard in our children's sermon, uh, is Juneteenth, and I can't help but think about that day as a Micah moment. (laughs) You know, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know what Juneteenth was until a few years ago. I'd never heard of it, but folks in the black community have been celebrating Juneteenth for years and years and years. It marks the day in 1965 when the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been made two years prior, finally made it to Texas. And those folks who were still in slavery in Texas were freed. It was the official end of legalized slavery in the US. And can you imagine what that would have felt like I mean, what freedom would have been like after you've been waiting for it for so long? Maybe you even thought it was impossible. (laughs) It's almost like God showing up and saying, I have heard the cries of my people again. When God's justice and mercy break in, incredible things can happen. And you and I have the opportunity to be a part of that. In fact, we have the responsibility to be a part of that. It's what God requires of us, right? Uh, There's an anonymous quote that I love from Richard Stern's book. It's called The Hole in Our Gospel. Um, It's an amazing book. But in this quote, the first person says, sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty, suffering, and injustice when he could do something about it. And so the second person says, well, why don't you ask him? And the first person responds, because I'm afraid he would ask me the same question. I'm afraid he would ask me the same question. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Um, There's a Catholic priest in L.A. named Greg Boyle Um, He started a rehabilitation and work program for folks who were former gang members. It's called Homeboy Industries. If you have never heard of this before, I would highly recommend checking out his books because his stories are incredible. Um, But he tells the story of one of his trainees in this program named Anthony. And Anthony is married and has three daughters. And one day as they were talking in his office, Anthony was sharing a little bit about his childhood childhood. You know, he had spent a lot of time in jail and detention facilities. He had dealt with a lot of addiction and gang violence. Um, But he was sharing about his earlier life, and he told Greg Boyle that he and his brother, when they were little, they had been taken from their home because it was also a place of violence, and they had been placed in the custody of their grandmother. But their grandmother, he says, was not a nice person. he shared the story of her making him and his brother sit quietly in the hallway uh, without saying a word for hours and hours, even to the point of putting duct tape over their mouths because she said, I hate the sound of your voice. And so he says that now he never shushes his girls. (laughs) And even when the oldest one of the three grabs a crayon and starts drawing on the wall, you know, he's telling this story, he says, his wife (laughs) just says, do something, (laughs) like, aren't you going to tell her something? He said he crouches down next to his little girl, and he puts his arm around her, and he says, now that is the most magnificent work of art that I have ever seen. And they sit together. (laughs) that, I think, is what chesed mercy looks like. We don't get what we deserve. We get what we need. Earlier this week, while I was reading and praying and just preparing for this sermon, um, I said to God, I need you to help me preach. (laughs) How do I tell your story? And God said to me, witness to the things that you've seen. And so I said, what is it that I've seen, Lord? And he says, my overwhelming grace for my people and my loyal, steadfast love across generations. And so I finally asked him, how should we love you in return? And God said, feed my sheep. And I just kind of broke down in tears as i'm having this prayer time with god realizing that he is the same today as he has always been just like we sang earlier in the service the same god who saw the suffering of his broken people and rescued them from slavery in Egypt, is the same God who led them across the Jordan and into the Promised Land after 40 years of complaining in the wilderness. And he's the same God who stood on the beach next to Peter after his resurrection and said, "'Do you love me, Peter? "'Feed my sheep.'" The same God stood alongside all of our African-American brothers and sisters when they finally heard that they were free in 1865, and that same God is in this place now, calling us to share in that abundant, welcoming, steadfast, never-lets-go-of-you type of love. That is God's story. That's Micah's story. And that gets to be our story. I mean, turn and look at your neighbors in this room right now. Seriously, see their faces. Like, reach out and grab their hands if you will. This is your family. (laughs) This is God's family, so it's your family. (laughs) And we need each other, because every one of us has our own story too. (laughs) And we all need the loyal love of God that gets poured out through us to one another. And the people out there, outside of this room in this worship space, especially the ones who are feeling oppressed and excluded or lonely They need us too. They are part of God's wide net of grace. The ones he still wants to save and he needs us to identify with them and to love them too. God's justice sees evil and pain for what it is. But he overwhelms it with his mercy. He leads with love because he doesn't give up on us. Remember how I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. Remember how you were dead and trapped in sin and I came to die for you. Remember how many times you have failed to be the people that I need. And still, I love you. I love you. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk with your neighbors this week with a loyal love that comes only from God, that knows no bounds, cast a wider net. Go and live in God's grace. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are overwhelmed by your love for us and by your loyalty and steadfastness to us, even in the face of all of our failures. We know that you see us and we know that you walk with us and that grace in and of itself is enough. Lord, thank you for these stories, these words from Micah that remind us of your story, that you are a saving God who stands beside his people. And now we are your church. Use us as you will. Help us to do justice and love mercy and love all people as you love them, Lord. In your name, amen.